0: Welcome to Long Story Short, sponsored by the Kirkpatrick Foundation. I'm Ted Struley, the Executive Director at Oklahoma Watch. We're a statewide nonprofit news organization that specializes in investigative reporting You're listening to our weekly podcast, which lets you hear directly from our journalists as they provide deeper insight into their recently published stories. I'm here with uh, Executive Editor Mike Sherman, and when uh, Governor Kevin Stitt visited the Oklahoma Watch newsroom to talk to our reporters recently, uh, Mike was there in the room and sat in. Mike, uh, what was the occasion? Well, um,
1: we had a checklist of Governor Stitt's campaign promises that Paul Money's published in two thousand and eighteen right after he got elected. And we thought this was a good time to check back in on those promises and really see how he's done.
0: Well, refresh our memories a little. what What were the list of promises you were looking at?
1: Okay. so one of the um, w- one of the 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 top one was the running he would draw on his experience as a businessman to make Oklahoma a top ten state. And sort of out of that, Ted, came a promise to improve government efficiency and save money, to lower the state's nation-leading incarceration rate, to improve Oklahoma's poor health rating, to make Oklahoma top 10 state for job growth, and I, I skipped the, the, the first one, make Oklahoma a top 10 state in education.
0: All right. Now, uh, you you mentioned education. Uh, what record is he running on there? What's he done for education?
1: Well, our education reporter, uh, Jennifer Palmer, had a series of one-on-ones with both Governor Stitt and his Democratic opponent, Joy Hoffmeister, and a couple of the big takeaways uh, from Jennifer's conversation with Governor Stitt was related to teacher pay, which is something the governor could absolutely do something about. You know, research shows that higher pay for teachers leads to smarter teachers. It leads to improved student achievement and lowers dropout rates. So this is a place the governor uh, could and did focus. One of his campaign promises was to bring the average, average teacher compensation uh, to the highest in the region. And at the time, Oklahoma ranked third in the region That right after that teacher walkout in which uh, that, that produced a $6,000 pay boost. Now, the latest data from uh, the NEA, the National Education Association, shows that other states in the region – They still pay more, but uh, Stitt says Oklahoma ranks highest in the region when salaries are adjusted for cost of living and tax burden. So he can can say he did that. Now, this year in his State of the State address, he promised a plan to allow what he considers the best teachers to earn more than $100,000 a year. He signed the proposal into law, but there's really no money to get it off the ground because the legislation tied to that funding is lottery earnings. And state Stitt preferred to fund it that way um, right away, but he felt like he had to find a version that the lawmakers would agree to.
0: Well, uh, what about uh, Stitt's running the government uh, more like a business? That's something that we hear from uh a lot of uh, especially Republican candidates when they run. Uh, How has that worked out?
1: Paul Money's is taking a look at that story for us, uh, Ted. And, you know, when the governor, um, he visited Oklahoma Watch offices, as you said, last week, really an interesting session. And he took a lot of pride for modernizing state government. He talked about how the state will be on one payroll system for the first time very soon which kind of seems incredible uh, considering I checked the calendar and it's 2022. So that's, that's certainly an achievement. Um, even more uh, noteworthy is the $2.8 billion in the savings account that the state has. That's a record for the state at this time, but um, <clears throat> governor Stitt said he'd take a businessman's approach to it and running the government at the speed of business hasn't been all smooth sailing um, as you pointed out, like right after you and I uh, started at Oklahoma Watch, um, getting a driver's license in this state is still a long process. The pandemic was part of the problem, but it but the waits persist. Now, the governor pointed to the tag agent system that's been in place for decades and said he alone can't take un, undo that. But we have real ID looming deadlines in 2023. And we still wait on that. The other stuff, though, um, legislative investigations, state and federal audits, they've uncovered millions in misspending under his administration. We'll remember the no-bid contract for pandemic school supplies worth $8 million, the Swadley's barbecue deal to renovate and operate state parks, and uh, investigators found that there was excessive management fees there. The public health lab, privatized, relocated to Stillwater in the middle of the pandemic. And if you go up there, and our reporters have been there, um, the brand-new equipment just sits unused. $5.4 million for PPE equipment never delivered. $2.6 million on hydroxychloroquine, a, a disputed uh, COVID cure. Never used. So it's a mixed bag.
0: I, uh... You want to come back to one point you raised there about the, uh, the state savings account because um, certainly cash reserves are, are important uh, in, in the public sector as well as the private sector. But, but Stitt's taken some heat over uh, building up that big of a savings account. Uh, there were people who felt as though that money could have been uh, put to good use. Uh, for any any number of purposes here in the state where funding is short. Did he address that at all?
1: I think the governor would say that, um, considering the state was um, in dire need of any kind of savings uh, 10 years ago, that that's probably one of his proudest accomplishments, As a, uh, at, and he led with that. Uh, he didn't really address um, what he could have done instead. I know that there's been uh, talk that he— uh, that he could have addressed a lot of other things. But that that seemed to be one of his crowning achievements.
0: Um, what, uh, what about health care? Are we a healthier state since Stitt took office?
1: Well, the governor did promise to sign any anti-abortion uh, legislation that reached his desk, and he f- did that. And Oklahoma's abortion laws are now among the nation's most restrictive. The, government, the governor can and will certainly uh, include that when he thinks about a healthier state, uh, his opponents would disagree. Outlawing abortion and increasing the state's power over women's health choices um, is certainly not what their idea of a healthier state. But it does create a new dynamic in the uh, in this upcoming election, um, and it really doesn't fit into those uh, health ranking categories like smoking, obesity, health insurance rates, of course. One of the biggest things uh, that happened during his time in office has been uh, Oklahoma voters, uh, uh, they they voted to expand Medicaid and thereby ensuring more poor Oklahomans had access to health insurance. The governor fought that, and it appears that he successfully um, channeled it away from fee-for-service plans that are favored by doctors and hospitals and patients and into managed care favored by insurance companies, but nevertheless— more poor Oklahomans will have access to insurance. Um, and he's finding ways uh, as uh, the, as, he, as most people do to take credit for things that he had uh, little control over. Of course, the biggest public health issue he faced was COVID. And the, the thing that really comes to mind is that when it came when, when we were talking about how Oklahoma's um, uh, COVID death rates ranked among the highest, the governor pointed out a couple things. Uh, one, the record-keeping of who dies from COVID is uh, in dispute in his mind. Um, how people get classified, did they die of COVID? Did they have it when they were in the hospital? He really called that into question. And the other thing he said, he doubled down on his whole personal responsibility tagline. And um, he really, when we asked him about the expansion of uh, better health care in rural Oklahoma— he, again, talked about personal responsibility.
0: Now, uh, did he address, you know, I, I know that he had made some other public statements, uh, some of his campaign ads, in fact, uh, pointing out that uh, he had kept businesses open during the pandemic, that he had uh, shied away from uh, some uh, the pattern of other states that took a more restrictive, uh, more conservative approach to uh, managing COVID, and and he uh, bragged on that a little bit, right? That we. Uh, didn't buy into that. We kept the economy going. Um, Yet uh, at the same time, those ads were running. A statistic came out that showed that Oklahoma was the fourth most dangerous state to be in uh, during the pandemic. So uh, how does he justify those two things?
1: Well, he does straddle that and that kind of straddles two of his promises. You know, the, the low unemployment rate, um, the making the economy and the job force work better. And, um, and the in the covid he 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 was very very proud that he was one of the first governors that really opened up the state and he uh, as soon as we we asked him about that covid death he said he questioned the record keeping when it came to covid deaths in Oklahoma he he questioned how anybody keeps track of of covid deaths and how he even raised the the point that hospitals were coding Um, some fatalities as COVID deaths to collect more, to get more reimbursement from the federal government. That's how proving that would be very difficult. On the other hand, um, wouldn't
0: wouldn't that apply to the other 49 states too, though? I mean, it it would
1: indeed. It it would (laughs) indeed. Uh, He would also say though, that he kept Oklahomans working um, in our, in in some of our other upcoming stories, Lionel Ramos is going to take a look at the economy and the labor and and how he met those campaign promises, his uh, unemployment rate is still sort of very flat compared to what it was before the pandemic. And that was a huge part of the governor's uh, um, things he took pride in, that he kept Oklahoma's economy running. Of course, we should also point out um, billions in federal uh, fund, uh, emergency pandemic funding didn't hurt.
0: Uh, Mike, I know the governor talked a little about uh, his record on on jobs and the economy. Uh, what about uh, criminal justice reform?
1: Of course, he he said he was going to take aim at Oklahoma's uh, nation leading incarceration rate, and and in some ways that's the campaign promise he fulfilled most directly. Two hundred ninety commutations back in two thousand nineteen. Um, People who were uh, in jail for what are considered lower level um, crimes were were let out, and um, the governor, of course, has been under fire for that. There's a grand jury report that looks at the the level of reoffenders among those. Uh, he's been hit with negative campaign ads um, since primary season started about people uh, people who reoffended, but. Um, that's that's something he took aim at. Seven uh, state question seven eighty. Oklahoma voters voted to reduce the number of people in jail uh, for low level offenses. He let them out. One in, uh, state question seven eighty. Uh, Oklahoma voters approved, which would take the money they the state saved from incarcerating all those folks, and to um, use that for drug and alcohol rehabilitation to address. Issues of addiction, well, not so much. Um, The legislature has really never fully funded that. Uh, We've had a story about uh, the accounts for that almost being zero. And only one time did the governor even include it in his budget. So um, kudos to him for fulfilling his promise to, um, to lower it. He took a direct route to it. But the funding of rehabilitation, not so much.
0: All right. Well, thanks, Mike. Uh, this will be a uh, a series of stories that we'll see published on Oklahoma Watch. Is that right?
1: That's right. There'll be a, sor- uh, a, a story from Paul Moneys on the government and speed of business. Uh, Jennifer Palmer on education. Um, Whitney Bryant on uh, public health. Lionel Ramos is looking at the, the issues surrounding jobs and the economy. And Ashlyn Huffman. Are still pretty new uh, criminal justice reporter a look at Stitt's record uh, on criminal justice.
0: All right. And uh, readers can look for those at uh, oklahomawatch.org. Thanks, Mike. In this segment of Long Story Short, I'm with Keaton Ross, who covers democracy for Oklahoma Watch. In his latest Democracy Watch newsletter, he previewed Oklahoma's U.S. Senate uh, general election, where three challengers are looking to unseat incumbent U.S. Senator James Langford, Keaton, uh, introduce us to the candidates running against Langford.
2: We have Democrat Madison Horn, who is in her early 30s and has a uh, background in cybersecurity. There's Libertarian Kenneth Blevins, uh, Tulsa Welder, and then finally Independent Michael Delaney, who is a retired software engineer. What uh, what kind of platform is HORN running on? So HORN is really focusing on tribal issues, uh, rural broadband and infrastructure, and like we're seeing from Democrats across the nation uh, in these Senate races, uh, driving home on, on abortion uh, rights. What about uh, Blevins and Delaney? What are they campaigning on? So Blevins, uh, like you'll see from a lot of libertarian candidates, is is really focusing on uh, s- promising if he's elected to limit government interfe- interference, uh, reduce taxes, those sorts of things. And then Delaney, the independent, uh, describes himself as a progressive uh, on social issues, um, that sort of thing. So maybe even a little bit further to the left than uh, Horn is.
0: Now, it's been decades since there was really a, a horse race uh, for a U.S. Senate seat in Oklahoma. Uh, is that going to be the case
2: again this year, or are things going to run a little closer? So the the polls I've seen on this particular Senate race have have Langford with a pretty solid advantage, uh, 15, 16, 7-point uh, margin overhorn. Um, Of course, we still have a little bit of time between now and the election, but you look at uh, registration, voter registration across Oklahoma, uh, Republicans outnumber Democrats around two to one. So uh, really an uphill battle for uh, any Democrat seeking uh, statewide office to to win over voters. Now,
0: what has uh, Langford really focused on over the last six years?
2: So a few things. He's uh, on the the Committee for Homeland Security and Government Affairs, uh, went up to ranking member uh, a few years ago. Um, So that's kind of been one of his areas of focus. And then we've also seen him pretty outspoken on on social issues, uh, opposing federal action to uh, codify abortion rights. Uh, He voted against uh, a gun control measure uh, that – that went through the uh, the house and and Senate uh, enacting some some rules on uh, you know giving states uh, incentives to in implement red flag laws uh those sorts of things uh, so that that's been his focus Langford really drew the ire of some Oklahoma
0: Republicans last year that uh, ended up with a a primary challenge to
2: him from the right. What what happened there? So on on January sixth, he he went into the hearing to certify the the presidential election results, saying he was going to object. And then there was the attack on the Capitol, and he came back and uh, reversed his stance and voted to certify those results. And that that drew some anger from some Republicans who said he should have went along with it and. Uh, tried 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 to reverse those results. Um, so we saw a, a Tulsa pastor Jackson Lawmire, challenge him from the right on, and this was one of the main things he was campaigning on. Uh, but ultimately Langford got through that that primary pretty easily, won with seventy seventy five percent of the vote. Um, but there was some people upset with that.
0: If Oklahoma sends Langford back to Washington, what is he saying his priorities will be this time around?
2: Um, a lot of the the same things we've seen from him in recent years. Um, if you go through his campaign website, some of his social media posts, uh, a lot of talk about the the economy, inflation. Uh, that's what we're seeing. Uh, a lot of Republicans running on. Um, you see that um, as well as. Uh, the social issues like like abortion, gun control, some of those things. So um, kind of a continuation of what his focus has been the past several years. Now our other Senate seat is also up for grabs November
0: 8th. What's up with that one?
2: So that is a special election to replace the the seat held by Jim Inhofe, who is retiring uh, the end of this year, beginning of next year. Um, So that's that's former Congresswoman Kendra Horn, who represented the fifth district in Oklahoma City, running against Mark Wayne Mullen, who uh, is currently the congressman in the in the second district in eastern Oklahoma. Um, That race is pulling a little bit closer than the race with Lankford and Madison Horn. Um, It'll be interesting to see how that turns out.
0: All right. Well, thanks,
2: Keaton. Uh,
0: Make sure that you visit OklahomaWatch.org. And while you're there, click on the newsletters tab so you can subscribe to Keaton's weekly Democracy Watch newsletter, as well as our other uh, newsletters that are available on that page. I'm with Jennifer Palmer, who covers education for Oklahoma Watch. She's been analyzing the latest student test scores, which are posted in a searchable database on our website, OklahomaWatch.org. Jennifer, what's the main takeaway from these test scores?
3: The main takeaway is about a quarter of students who were tested in the spring are at least proficient in math. Um, English language arts was a little bit above that, about 27%. And in science, about a third of students tested at least proficient or above, 31%.
0: Now, what's that based on? Who who's taking these tests, and when were they given?
3: These are the state tests, and they are given to third through eighth graders in the spring. Um, they're, all third through eighth graders take the English and math every year. Science they take them in fifth and eighth grade, and then there are also some scores for eleventh graders that are included in this.
0: Oh, compared to twenty nineteen, the last pre-pandemic school year, what does the data tell us about student learning?
3: Well, students are still struggling to recover from the pandemic. That's definitely what we see in the scores. They are um, lower this year than they were in 2019, the last year before, um, you know, that was not disrupted um, by about uh, seven or eight percentage points in, in most subjects.
0: And uh, how about compared to 2021?
3: Now we are seeing some signs of improvement when we compare to 2021. Um, definitely a couple of percentage points in each subject area. However, the 2021 scores are a little problematic because they uh, participation was down. Um, we were still Oklahoma still had one of the highest participation rates, but it was lower than we would expect to be able to say that this is accurate
0: any bright spots
3: absolutely there are several grades and subjects that jumped quite a bit um and i think that shows that you know schools are making the effort to catch kids up
0: i mean you know most of the time when there's a compilation of data like that there are some caveats that go along with it when people look at it Uh, what do we have in this one
3: Right. Well, I mean, again, these are not all students. You know, this is just a snapshot of um, where some Oklahoma students are. Um, We don't test the youngest grades. We don't test um, except once in high school. So we're not looking at every single grade. There are also quite a few categories that are not included in our data set um, because the that age grouping or that grade and that school was withheld for federal privacy protection. So if you go look, you know, if they're really small groups, you can't see the, the scores there. And, you know, like most um, measures in education, test scores do tend to um, align with the level of poverty in a school. So you definitely want to consider that when, when looking at these scores.
0: Now, uh, I understand that for your story, you simplified the data a little bit. Uh, what, What measures did you include?
3: Right. The original data set included all four levels of proficiency for every grade tested at every district and school. We thought that was a little too much. So what I did was I combined the top two levels of proficiency and that's proficient and advanced and we printed the, um, or we had just included the percentage of kids who are proficient or above. So these are kids that scored at a level that you would expect to be ready for the next grade, on track for college or career. Well,
0: it, at the end of the day, what do those uh, scores tell us?
3: You know, I, I tell my kids this, when they're getting ready to take their state test, it's not so much about the individual student, but really, I think they give us a um, an understanding of how well the school is doing and the teachers are doing to teach the subjects and and to get the kids on, um, you know, on track for college career, the next step, the next grade. Um, and I think they're helpful statewide as well because we can really learn from the schools that are doing that that are catching kids up significantly and hopefully emulate what they're doing in other schools.
0: And how does Oklahoma stack up against the rest of the country?
3: So we don't have a lot of national data yet. We did just get ACT scores um, very recently. Oklahoma did not do very well at all on the ACT scores. Our average composite dropped for the class of 2022. Um, And only two states were lower than Oklahoma, so we're we're third lowest. Um, There is another national data set coming out next week um, called the Nation's Report Card, and that should give us a really good understanding of where Oklahoma is compared to other states. All
0: right. Well, thanks, Jennifer. You can read Jennifer's story and find that test score data on our website at OklahomaWatch.org, where you can also subscribe to Jennifer's Weekly newsletter Education Watch. You've been listening to Long Story Short, a weekly podcast that helps you get deeper into the investigative stories reported by Oklahoma Watch, which you can find on the web at oklahomawatch.org. This podcast was made possible by a grant from the Kirkpatrick Foundation, for which we're grateful. For Oklahoma Watch, I'm Ted Struli. Thanks for listening.